Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, that's a new book. 1 Thessalonians 2, we're looking at chapters, uh, verses 13 through 20. If you don't have a, a copy of God's Word with you this morning, it will be on the screen for you to follow along. No, it won't. I forgot to put it in there. So, I just realized I did, I knew there was something I was forgetting this week, and that's the thing. Uh, so, if you do need a copy of God's Word, underneath the seat in front of you, or maybe just the one to the next of in front of you, there's a rack, and it, there should be a Bible in there, and you can follow along in that. If you don't have not just a Bible with you this morning, but not at all, keep that one. That's our gift to you this morning. We uh, want you to have God's Word in your hand, uh, so you just, you just go ahead. We won't even look and see if you did it. We're, we're, we're not a problem at all. Take that with you. We are looking at, uh, this, in this series through Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, in word and power. The gospel did not just come to you in word, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in full assurance. That's part of our memory verse, and I probably just messed up some of the words. But our memory verse is on the screen, so we're going to say this together. And no, I have not completely memorized it yet, so I'm turning it around to see it. It ain't back there. So let's say it together. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5. By the end of these seven weeks, we're going to know it. Uh, if, you need, if you want some help with that, on the Connection Center in the back are some bookmarks that have this verse on it. So you can take a bookmark, stick it into your, uh, your reading uh, your, your Bible and mark your spot for your daily D group reading and you look at that and there it is. It is also on the wall in the foyer now. So every time you come in here, you pass by it, those words will be there on the screen. So I mean on the screen, on the wall. So we're giving you every opportunity we possibly can. It's also on our Facebook page. It's on Faith Life. It's everywhere to memorize this verse along with us. So this morning, the title of the message is, Because It Works. Do you recognize, and just shout it out when you know, what product these lines are advertising? The first one is, The Wonder Drug That Works Wonders. What was that? You're going to have to be of a certain age. Chelsea's not going to get it. Bayer Aspirin, the wonder drug that works wonders. That was an early 80s, maybe the mid-80s thing, so that's why you got to be of a certain age. Most of y'all are of a certain age, I'm just saying. Uh, the next one, building a world that works. This is going to be tougher. Now, this is mid-90s, so we're a little more recent. Anybody remember what that one was? That one was just mean because nobody. GE. Did I hear somebody say that? Good job, Melissa. I am impressed. Yeah, we'll give that because that's a that was one of those commercials they were they were advertising their jet engines and stuff. It was. Lastly, that's not how any of this works. No. Now the commercial was some ladies sitting around in a living room 
and she was talking about, I put all my pictures from our vacation on my wall. And the other lady sitting on the couch going, ooh, I like that one. I like that one. I like that one. And then another lady saying, that's not how any of this works. That's not how this works. That's not any of, how this, any, any of this works. And the lady with the pictures on the wall says, I unfriend you. Why do the lights keep changing? <laughs> Justin's got the tablet. I don't know. He's in the foyer. Okay, well, Justin, whatever you're doing is making the lights change in here, and it's, well, distracting. So that's not how any of this works, but y'all aren't going to remember the commercial. It's not a Facebook commercial. I thought, when I was looking it up, I thought it was a Geico commercial. Oh, the lights keep doing things. Okay. Well, the lights keep doing things. We've never had that before. That's new. It's e-surance. Just, just so, you, you know, nobody remembers what, the brand, what that was for. That's probably why insurance is out of business. But the point of those commercials is to get across to us that either it works well or what you thought worked doesn't work as well as you thought it would. The, 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 the emphasis, anyway, is bear... GE, insurance, those work. Those are the things you want to buy, you want to purchase, or in the case of insurance, their gimmick was 15 minutes is too long to get insurance. You can do it with us in seven and a half. Literally, that's what they were doing because they were competing against Geico. But, but it works. These things work. Everything else doesn't work. The truth of the matter is, for Christians... The only thing that works is the gospel. That's what works. Now, the gospel doesn't stop your headache. Uh, the gospel doesn't build jet engines, airplane engines. And the gospel isn't concerned about whether you can sign up for car insurance in 15 minutes or seven and a half minutes. So the gospel doesn't work for those things, but that's not the purpose of the gospel. What the gospel does work for, what Paul is going to be talking about in Thessalonians and really all of his letters, the entire New Testament, is to let us know what the gospel does work for. He, he, he explains this in verses 13 through 20. Of chapter 2. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, this is why we constantly thank God. Notice he says this and not therefore. So this normally will make us look ahead a little bit, anticipate he's going to say something. Therefore makes us look back. This says, I'm about to tell you why. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. 
As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope and joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica all about how the gospel works. He begins by telling them why it works, and he's talking specifically to them about their lives and how he has seen the gospel work in their lives. But there's a message here for us. If, if Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, this is what I see in you, just like we asked the question last week, and we should ask the question every time we come to Scripture, this is my wife's uh, mantra, people sometimes don't like me to use that word, motto, her, her focus is you come to Scripture to see what it says about God and then what that says about you and how you need to change you in response to what it says about God and you. Now, I didn't put it as eloquently as she did, does, but, but that's her focus. It's why she's working on her master's in discipleship from, uh, from New Orleans. I almost said Southwestern. From New Orleans. Uh, that's what we want to see. We come to Scripture to see what it says about God and about us and what we need to change. How many things do we need to change about God? Right, so if we don't have to change anything about God, the one who needs to change is us. So we come to this part of Thessalonians, and we see first why the gospel works. It works. Paul said that in verse 13. It works. It, 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 is also, it also works effectively in you who believe. Why does it work? Well, the first reason it works, and the most obvious reason it works, nope, back one please, Pat, is that it's, well, not quite that far. Keep, uh, click forward. There we go. One more. Got it. That right there. It's the Word of God. That's the first reason it works. It's God's actual words. Now, we have a theology of Scripture that says we understand that men wrote this. It was Paul who, who wrote the book of Thessalonians. Actually, more likely, it was Paul dictating to a secretary, an amanuensis, who wrote down what he said. And sometimes he says the name of his secretary, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he goes in the midst of his letter, and he may have done this even in, um, in verse 18, pushed the secretary aside and said, even I, Paul, uh, time and again, maybe he wrote that. And in some letters, he will, uh, at the end, say, see with what big letters I am personally signing this letter. 
We know that Paul wrote and or dictated. Somebody else wrote it. It was was John, in, in the case of John's gospel, we think. He never says who wrote it. But best evidence says it's probably John. Other letters, Hebrews, we have no clue who wrote it. But we know that somebody wrote it. I say we don't have any clue who wrote it. We don't know who wrote it. Hebrews has no claim to authorship in it. But it wasn't just men writing. I don't believe that when Paul sat down or started talking to his secretary, that suddenly he went into some hypnotic trance and started just saying things. And then a little while later snapped out of it and says, what did I say? No, there's this wonderful working of God in Paul so that Paul's words, Paul's choices of of verbs and nouns and all, that was actually God by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed, we're told by Scripture. Scripture is our standard. So Scripture is God-breathed. It is all God's Word. So when we come to the gospel, particularly the gospel, the gospel being the good news of Jesus, who could have written that script other than God? The gospel works because it is God's gospel, because God did it, because God sent his son, fully God and fully man, second person of the Trinity, to die on the cross, to save sinners, to give us the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. It's God's word. So it works because it's his. Bear liked to say it works because it's bare. In fact, it was aspirin, right? That's, that's what worked. That, Bear was their uh, product name. It was the aspirin that worked. It may be not a great analogy, but First Baptist is the product name. It's the gospel that works. If we're going to have revival, it's going to be because of the gospel, the, the, the actual thing that makes the change, not the name over the door, not the, the delivery system or the deliverer, but the gospel itself. That's where the power is. It works because it's the word of God, but it also works because you believe it. Also in verse 13, This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God. It worked because they welcomed it. There were people in Thessalonica, and Paul is going to talk about that, that ran him out of town. The gospel did not work for them. Does that mean that the gospel is weak? Or ineffective, Paul would say something like, may it never be that we would say such a thing. There is no weakness in the gospel. It is powerful. It is what we need for salvation. But there must be a response 
on our part. It works when we believe. And there's this marriage of God's sovereignty and human freedom that connects in a way that our brains will not logically allow us to understand. It doesn't work that God can be completely sovereign and I have to believe. And, and there's a tension there. And, and some folks in, in, in good faith with, with great credentials and bunches of Bible study will go further to one side or further to the other. And if we go too far either direction, we completely leave the Bible. And we don't want to do either of those things. So I sit here in the middle going, both things are absolutely true. And I just don't understand how. But I do know that the gospel is the power unto salvation. And we must repent and believe. And it works. If we believe the gospel... If we trust Jesus as our Savior, nothing will take us from His hand. It works. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit so that our future is secure. Our eternity is secure. Our sanctification, our becoming more like Jesus is constant and continual because the gospel works. It works because it's the Word of God and it works because we believe it. God's power overcomes our sin through our faith. But Paul doesn't just stop at the why it works. He, as a matter of fact, he, he spends more time on the proof that it works. He talks a lot about what he sees in the church in Thessalonica. He, 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 you've got the gospel, here's why it works. It's the word of God and you have believed it. It is powerful and you responded in faith. But now what do I see, Paul is saying, what do I see in the lives of the church in Thessalonica? Well, he begins by saying, number one, that they imitate, and I'm going to use more personal pronouns, we imitate other believers. That's the first way it shows, it, it proves its effectiveness. It proves that it works. Verse 14, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. There's some debate, not a lot. It's not even a really strong debate. They wonder, did, did the church in Thessalonica know that they were imitating the church churches in Judea. Some would say that Paul wouldn't have had a reason to tell them about what was going on. I think that was part of his testimony. I think that was part of what he would have told them. Certainly it was, it was a part of his testimony, what he had done as a persecutor of the church going from Jerusalem to Damascus and, and rounding up Christians on the way to, to do it. I think when Paul got there, it, it, it's, it's a natural, got to Thessalonica, it is a natural thing to tell people the gospel will set you free, of course, from, from sin, from, from uh, Satan, from an eternity separated from God. But it will also create problems in your lives. 
Ain't everybody going to like this. Paul let them know, you're going to suffer. And so in telling them that, they chose to put up with that by imitating other believers. They, like the churches in Judea, like the church in Jerusalem, we can just go back in Acts to that uh, Dr. Adam Greenway talked about last week, in our, uh, or week before last now, in, in Renew Week, and, and the, the, the persecution that started that actually was turned out to be necessary to get the church off of its chairs and out into Samaria and the ends of the earth like they were supposed to. But the, the persecution that, that killed Stephen, the persecution that scattered, and we continue to read Acts and we, we read about the persecution in Jerusalem that the, the apostles faced. And he tells them, the proof that the gospel worked in your life is that you imitated those other believers. You took the suffering just like they did. You, but I think it's even more than just about suffering here. Suffering is the focus. But Paul even writes to other churches, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as long as I'm leading you toward Jesus. That is... The command for every believer. We are to follow each other. We are to disciple each other. We are to iron sharpen iron as we each follow Jesus. You know, a church where we are all following Jesus has zero unity problems. Zero arguments. We're all going the same direction. We're all pulling the same rope. I, I used this analogy early on in coming here. That we, as a church, have to make sure that we're all on a rope pulling, and we're all pulling the same way. It, it doesn't matter the weight of the object if we're all pulling the same direction. The problem is if we have some pulling this way, and some going that way, and some going that way, and even worse, some going that way. We ain't moving. We're certainly not moving fast. And it's a lot more work. But if we are imitating other believers, if we are following them as they follow Jesus... That's proof that the gospel has worked in our lives. Secondly, the proof that the gospel works is that we suffer. That is the main point of what he's saying. You imitated others by suffering. You, uh, you have also suffered the same things from uh, people of your own country. We suffer. I've told you before, if you are not experiencing some form of persecution, and not persecution for being a jerk, persecution for being a Christian for your beliefs, if we are not suffering in some way, if we're not losing friends that we hoped we would keep, and, and, and we may have wanted to keep those friends so we could witness to them, but as we draw closer to Jesus, they pull further away. That is a form of suffering. It is a suffering to lose family members. It is suffering to go through these things. If you are a believer, you will suffer, no matter how much you follow Jesus. 
doesn't make for a good commercial. It's not a great sales point. Hey, take this, makes your life horrible. It's almost like all the, the commercials now for the various medicines. This will cure rheumatoid arthritis. May cause stomach cramps, vomiting, ulcers, your legs to fall off, your, your, your hair to fall off. And, and, it's, and the, the, the commercial for what it might do is, is actually longer than the commercial for what it's supposed to do. Folks coming to Jesus, yes, bad analogies, come on, Patrick. Bad analogies, I get it, but yes, we get eternal life and forgiveness of our sins, and with that, suffering. And yet, it's worth it. And I can't... I can't tell you why it's worth it. I mean, I can tell you in my personal life why this suffering was worth what I know I'm promised at the end. I I mean, I, I can give you some personal stories. But what we have to do, I believe, is step back and look at something like the letter to the church in Thessalonica. And where Paul says, the proof that the gospel worked in your life is that you are suffering. You're just going to. Rejoice in suffering, he will say in other places, because that's just proof of the gospel in your life. Thirdly, proof that it works is that we endure the suffering. Jump up back to verse 13. This kind of encapsulates this idea. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God, you heard from us, you welcomed it. We thank God... Because you welcomed the gospel and nothing has changed. Because he's going to talk about suffering in a few different, couple of different places. And each time he's not saying, and because of the, the, the suffering you have shrinked back, there's no reprimand here. Instead, he is writing them with joy. In spite of the suffering, you have maintained your faithfulness and your faith in the gospel. The word of God, the powerful word of God. You have endured all of this suffering. That is proof that the gospel has taken hold in your life. The suffering you endure is proof. But what do you do when the suffering comes? Do you bail? Jesus talked about those folks in in Matthew chapter 13. The seeds that were scattered and and when when suffering came, when hard times came, when the sun came out and dried it up. There there was no root. Their faith wasn't real. It happens. But you, church in Thessalonica, you, First Baptist Church of Sulphur, you endure the suffering. That is proof that the gospel has changed you. That is proof that the gospel has renewed you. And continues to renew you. And sometimes, and what he's particularly talking about here, is that we will suffer from our own people. He says to them, you suffered from your hometown folks, the people you knew, friends and family, 
persecution from them, just like we suffered in Judea from hometown folks, family and friends that we knew. As we, as a church family, as a body of believers are renewed, we will endure suffering from those that we thought were part of us. It'll be this strange paradox of, well, that church is just dying down there, and then when a revival happens, well, I won't be a part of that. Revival, and I'm going but, to, but I'm not going to, it's just the way it is. From our own people, friends, family. The mark of the gospel will be that we endure the suffering. Fourth proof of the gospel working in our lives is that there are attempts to silence us. See, this is almost a, it's not quite a progression, but it's close. You, we, there will be suffering. There will be particular, particular suffering that, that will be hardest for us to endure. And then when that suffering doesn't happen, Paul says, there will be attempts to silence you. Verse 16 they displease, middle of verse 15 rather, they displease God and are hostile to everyone. These are the people who are persecuting them, the, the friends, the family, people from their country, Jews and Judea. They're hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. I told you last week, last Sunday, that the purpose of our renewal is not for us. It's for the gospel. It's so that we may share the gospel with more people. We may make more disciples. That's why we want to be renewed. There are uh, positive effects of it. There are ways that we can encourage it. But none of those are the goals. It is the making of disciples that is the goal. When we set in our hearts and minds that we as a church are going to make disciples come quite literally hell or high water, we've had both, there will be attempts to silence us. And if we just back up one sentence, one phrase, it's going to be from people we know the best. It's going to be people of our own country, people of our own homes. But if we aren't saying anything that goes against the devil, against what he is wanting to do with the world, contra what God wants to do with the world, if we aren't saying anything against him, he doesn't care about us. The devil doesn't attack worthless churches. He ain't scared of the dead church on the corner that's not reaching anybody for Jesus and not making disciples. Doesn't bother him in the least. They can do whatever it is they're doing. He's not wasting any energy on that. He's only going to go after churches who are making a difference, who are making disciples. That's who he's going to go after. Proof that the gospel is working works, has worked, is that there will be attempts to silence the sharing of the gospel with the lost. Whatever that looks like. 
Some will be more subtle than others, but it will be an attempt to silence nonetheless. By keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. He goes on, as a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. We want to respond and react. I know that all too well. And yet it's not, I I guess there are times, certainly, But those who would cause our suffering, who would attempt to silence us, God knows. They're filling up their sins to the limit. Wrath, God's wrath, has overtaken them, will overtaken them. It's in in God's hands. We won't be able to stop what's said not our job, really. It's just our job to make disciples. It's a tough lesson. I'm still working on. Fifth, proof that it works. We desire discipling fellowship. Discipling fellowship. Verse 17, but as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, We greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. Discipling fellowship. Paul loved the church in Thessalonica. He loved, I believe this with all my heart, he loved to just hang out with people. I mean, I just, I, I get that from him. He goes to the Agora in Athens, he just hangs out, he wants to tell the God. I mean, he's got a purpose though, right? Every hanging out moment is an opportunity to make disciples. We, one of the five ministries of the church, one of the five focuses of the church, evangelism, discipleship, worship, missions, and fellowship, but all of those have the purpose of making disciples. Even fellowship, as much as I love ice cream, obviously, Even ice cream for a church should be about discipleship. Getting to know each other better. Breaking bread together. Breaking bluebell together. So that we can disciple each other. Paul, we, he says, all of us greatly desired. That word, that's an interesting word, desired. If I remember correctly, every other place Paul used it in his letters, it's a negative word. Because it means lust. Ooh, didn't know he was going to talk about that today. I'm not. That is how strongly Paul wanted to get across to them. He wanted to have discipling fellowship. He used a word that was normally negative in a very, very different context than uh, than what he would have normally used. He desired strongly. Church, do we desire discipling fellowship with one another? Our connect groups are growing. 
every week, we're, it, it, it's kind of like our, our worship attendance. We're not spiking. I mean, we have some spikes. Renew Week was a spike for worship attendance. But the, the, the trend line for our connect groups, just like our worship attendance, is going up. So yes, there is a lot of desire. As a matter of fact, we're, I don't know what the trend now is for connect group compared to worship attendance, but those two numbers are actually beginning, they're both increasing, but they're coming closer together as they increase, which is wonderful and kind of strange. I've always been at churches, I think, as far as I know, where their Sunday school attendance was usually half or so of their worship attendance. We're, we're better than that. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad I don't know. It's just a thing. It's, it's where we are. But they're both growing. We deci- desire that de- discipling fellowship. I wish we desired it even more. There are more opportunities to fellowship. And, and maybe y'all do. And, and, and that's great. Maybe, maybe there are, are, y'all are hanging out at times that I don't even know about. And, and, and y'all are fellowshipping as church members. And, and, and there's discipleship going on. And, and, and I just am unaware of it. But, but maybe we're not. Uh, maybe, maybe we only have two D groups meeting right now. One with about five people. And one with about seven or eight Thirteen and ten or twelve. Okay, getting better. Eighteen tonight. I hope you have eighteen tonight. That would be awesome. And but my math. Let's see. Uh, it's twenty-three. We've got we had eighty-two in connect groups this morning, and we have just guessing this morning of probably about a hundred and fifteen, hundred and twenty here. I really try not to guilt y'all. And y'all going, really? You do? (laughs) No, I do. Because what I want you to see is God's word for you. It ain't my job to guilt you. It's, It's God's job to convict you through his word. What I want you to see is that we need more. Sunday morning is good. Twice on Sunday morning is is better. Three times on Sunday is great. Reading your D group readings every day while going to multiple opportunities to to grow in your knowledge of Scripture and disciple each other, that's awesome. That's where we need to go. Do we, and I'm going to use the word he used, do we lust for discipling fellowship among our church body? Now, that's one of the proofs that the gospel works. Six, we're attacked by Satan. He wraps it up in case you were wondering where I was getting this whole thing about Satan. It was what I was talking about a few minutes ago, verse 18. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan was the problem. Now, what was hindering him? Well, he couldn't go back to Thessalonica because they had already kicked him out once and tried to kill him. He even chased him to the next town of Berea, trying to kill him, if I remember Acts correctly. Yep. They followed him. Yeah, they chased him. It was, but, but it wasn't those people. It, it wasn't the friends and family that were persecuting. It wasn't the suffering. It was Satan all the time. It was Satan all along. Not Agatha. 
inside joke. It was Satan. In the hearts of the people who were chasing him out. In the hearts of the people that were beating him up. In the hearts of the people that were stopping him from sharing the gospel so that Gentiles may be saved. It was Satan's work. We are going to be attacked by Satan if we are making disciples. If we are being renewed. If we are constantly being refilled with the Holy Spirit. We are going to be attacked by Satan. And it's going to look like a lot of different things. And sometimes it's going to look like just annoyances. But sometimes annoyances are, are, are going to be death by a thousand cuts. Just finally, oh, ah, each little, little thing. And sometimes it's going to be big things. Let's, let's not give Satan more power than he has. I don't believe Satan controls the weather. I don't see anything in this. So Satan didn't send hurricanes. Satan doesn't send tornadoes. Satan cannot read your heart and your minds. He doesn't know your thoughts. He does not have, uh, he is not omniscient like God is. But he knows people. He knows who we are. He knows that while there are seven billion variations of human, we all pretty much alike. He knows how to pull the strings. He knows how to needle. He knows how to poke. He knows how to cause problems. And he knows how to attack. He knows how to tempt. He knows how to distract. And if we are going to be a discipling church, if we are going to share a gospel that works, we are going to be attacked by Satan and suffer and be silenced. And I pray, endure that suffering. Lastly, the proof that the gospel works is not only that we lust for discipleship, but that we celebrate discipleship. Verses 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. It wasn't about Paul. The church in Thessalonica was not about Paul. He rejoiced that the gospel had worked in their lives. But he rejoiced not that he had been the one to share the gospel with them. Though, of course, that excited him and he was happy about that. And, and they were his pride and joy. But his, they were his pride and joy because they had believed. Because they had heard the word. What did he say at the beginning? You accepted the word not as words of humans. You didn't go, wow, now this Paul, he knows how to turn a phrase. Paul's on their sheet. Paul. Paul. They have to mark it every time I say it. He knew, they, they, didn't, they didn't worry about his words, what he was saying. They weren't impressed with him. As a matter of fact, he, he writes to another church, and I'm, I don't remember which one, after having less uh, uh, success in Athens, he says, next place I went, Corinth, I think. I didn't even try to come to you with any sort of 
newfangled words, highfalutin language. I didn't try to convince you with logic. That was a way to speak to the Athenians in the Agora, sure, but it, it's, not, it's not about the words. What I knew, Paul says, is that it's the power of the gospel to save. So that's what I came to you with. Not me, he says. So he celebrates that they are disciples and continuing to be discipled, continuing to grow as they endure suffering. Do we celebrate discipleship? Do we celebrate the growth among our church members? Do we celebrate when somebody finally, we, we see the light bulb that goes off, the connection. Oh, I see how that scripture connects to that scripture. Now that all makes sense. <gasps> Hallelujah. Now's a good time to tell you this. Speaking of growing church members in our midst, pride and what does he call it? Not pride and joy. Glory and joy. God raising up people in our midst. Personnel committee has been meeting since we found out Tom was leaving. Since he announced that he was leaving, I guess. Of course, knowing that this summer uh, Amy will be as well. What to do next? Well, next Sunday night, we will have a business meeting where we, where we will discuss a recommendation from personnel committee that Justin Saltzman be our part-time youth minister, Chelsea Saltzman be our part-time children's minister, and Etta Linton be our part-time worship and discipleship minister. On the connection desk, there we go, there will be the full recommendation uh, printed out for you that we will be discussing. Job description, salaries, all that. At least it will be after my son Jamie goes and gets them off my desk and puts them on the connection center for me. After many discussions and personnel committee, Interviews of the three candidates, an interview with Tom and Amy to discuss their thoughts, their um, recommendations for this to happen. What we have seen is exactly what I'm talking about here. Growing church members to be leaders, discipling church members to be leaders. You know, there's no spot in the Bible where it talked about the church in Thessalonica needing a pastor and sending a letter to the church in Corinth to say to the pastor, can you send us your resume so we can see if we want you our pastor over here. They, they raised up leaders in the church. Y'all, that is one of the healthiest signs of a church. That is one of the strongest proofs that the gospel is working in our church. When people who grew up in our church 
like from birth, 10 through 30-something, 30 30-zero, 30 32, and, and, and being able to, in the lives of people, mark where God has done something. You want to see that trend line, but you see these places where God got a hold of them right there. And I don't want to take any of their time. They're going to give their testimonies and calls to you in our business meeting next Sunday night at 5 o'clock. They're going to tell you about why they believe God is calling them to this. So I don't want to do that for them. But this is our opportunity as a church to celebrate discipleship. To celebrate what God is doing in our church. So what Paul said, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. I've known, I've known Jordan Labrie, I remember, I think I told y'all, since 2013, I think he was 19 when he first came to our church in Nixon. Kept up with him and then saw him, we called him here. And we saw what God did with him and our youth, our church, here. And then, I'm going to say we sent him out. And I see what he's doing with him in Nacogdoches right now. And we, we look at Tom, and, and, and we see him now becoming a, a director of missions, a, an associational missional strategist. AMS, and we, we look back, y'all look back, and you see over 22 years what God did in his life to prepare him, and if you sit down and talk to him, you'll hear how chaplaincy prepared him for this, and being the education minister here prepared him for this, and being the, the family minister here prepared him for this. It was all part of God's plan, him being discipled. And we asked the questions of Chelsea and Justin and Etta. You'll hear how God did things in their lives at this church to disciple them, to prepare them for what was next. And we, as a church, get to celebrate that discipleship. That's a proof of the gospel right there. The proof of the gospel for us today, 2,000 years later, is that God's still saving people. Does that not amaze you? People you'd never think come, would come to Jesus. He's still saving the easy fish to catch and the hard fish to catch. The truth is, they're all hard fish to catch. And yet, he's still doing it. The proof of the gospel is that people are still getting saved. This morning, you may be the next proof of the gospel. You've heard God's word this morning. It, you, your, your heart is stirred. 
I've talked about salvation and trusting Jesus and all these things in your eternity. Here's how you can know that you're saved. Uh, Romans 6, 23. Understand that the wages of sin is death. You are going to die because of your sins. That sin, that death, it will separate you from God for eternity. But the gospel, the gospel is that there's a gift that God has given. The gift of God is eternal life. It's there. It is ready for you. It has been done. It has been accomplished. Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. That does not have to be done again. But what does have to be done is your response to it, your acceptance of that salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the number one proof of the gospel. That God is still saving sinners. Maybe this morning you want to be the next sinner saved. You need to be the next sinner saved. In a few minutes we're going to have a time of response and I'm going to be down here on the left, and I'm going to ask Amy to be down here on the right. We'll have a couple of men in the back. Any one of us can explain to you what it means to be saved. As a matter of fact, most people in here, if they know enough of the gospel to be saved, they know enough of the gospel to share with you how you can be saved. But we'd love to pray with you, and maybe this is your time. Maybe you are the next proof of the gospel. You know how I know you can be saved? Because it works. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the gospel still works. Thank you that you still save. Thank you that the gospel still works in our lives. doesn't matter how long ago we trusted Christ and repented of our sins. The gospel still works. And we see it every day in our lives just like Paul said he saw of the church in Thessalonica. Lord, may it be that in these proofs we've discussed this morning, we see them in our lives daily or weekly or any time the opportunity arises, these proofs pop up. God, thank you that the gospel still works. Thank you that gospel still saves. From the youngest to the oldest, No matter how far away from Christ we think we are, no one person is any further. Dead is dead. An enemy is an enemy. Lost is lost. There are more moral sinners lost and going to hell, and there are less moral sinners lost and going to hell but the end result is the same and it takes the same Jesus to save each of them Lord this morning may someone come forward or right there in their seats or grab somebody afterward say I want to be saved I've heard of the power of the gospel can it change me the answer is unequivocally yes it can may you work in this place this morning we pray in Jesus name amen So in this time of response, you have a next step to take. What is your next step? To trust Jesus as your Savior. 
to join First Baptist Church, maybe. Maybe you've accepted Christ, you need to be baptized. Maybe there's something in your life you need to conform to Christ. Maybe, like Chelsea and Justin and Etta, you've got to submit to God's plan and purpose in a way that you never thought you would have to do. Big old scary mess, isn't it? Yeah. I did it at 15. Yeah. But maybe he's got something for you like that too. This morning, let's stand, let's sing, let's get, let God work on us as we worship him today.